you pray for, with me uh, for a moment? Heavenly Father, Lord, I've come this morning to represent you, to speak for you, but I find that I'm not worthy to speak on your behalf. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak through me. May the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And may every person who hears this message be open to receive the message that the Holy Spirit is bringing us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever gone through any struggles in life? Anyone? Wow. It's amazing. Only about 10 of you out of the whole church have been through struggles in life. Well, I, you may not be able to relate to my sermon today, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead with what I have prepared. You know, we, there's that saying has been going around the social internet, the struggle is real. And friends, I'll tell you, the struggle is real. We, we heard a little bit about it in Sabbath school this week in our lesson, didn't we? In fact, I think we have a whole quarter about struggles. It's called a crucible, but struggle. This is another name for struggles in life. So before I get into that, I want to make sure that we set something straight. As when we were introduced the other day, somebody said we were from California. And so many people think of this when they think of California. Crowded beaches. I don't know if that's what you thought of when we mentioned California, but a lot of people do think of the beaches. I remember when I came to seminary and I was from California, people thought that I must be a surfer dude and I was probably liberal. And it's like, no, sorry, you're wrong on both counts. So some people think of this when they think of California, movie stars, celebrities, all of the things that happen down there. Uh, no, that's not where I'm from. Some people think of this, San Francisco, the beautiful bay and the Golden Gate Bridge. Like, no, that's not where we're from. We're actually from a little place, just so, so you can keep it straight in your mind. It's called the state of Jefferson. It's a, a mythical state, but it, uh, there it is. Th that's where I'm from. That's where I'm from. That's actually a picture of Mount Shasta. Had the privilege of living there as a child and then again uh, pastoring just a few miles from Mount Shasta. Here's another picture of Scott Valley. This was the, the little valley that I've pastored in for the last 19 years. We have a small church there. The valley's about 10 miles, 10 to 15 miles wide, about 30 miles long. Around 5,000 to 6,000, 7,000 people live there, depending on which sort of plagues and scourges are going on in the world. People come up there to hide out. And um, in case you think that I just cherry-picked some pictures off the internet, this picture I actually took myself. This is with my little phone sitting in my truck at the end of my driveway through the windshield. You can see there was a little windshield that needed to be cleaned. But this is the view from my house there in Scott Valley, the, the mountains around and the green pastures. So that's where we're from. Here, here's a... Uh, There's the church, little church, about 40 members. And 
There we go. Picture of inside the church. That was the stained glass window at the front of the church. And you'll notice there's some similarity with that church and this church. You notice the angels there? It's the same three angels. And no matter where in the world we are called to minister, we are to proclaim the everlasting gospel and the three angels' messages. And I'm, I'm happy to be a part of a church here now that, that values the same message. Oh, I'm going to back up, actually. I haven't backed up yet. Let me see if this works. There it is. Okay, so I have a question for you. How many of you have done any gardening? Excellent, excellent. How many of you have had to thin out some plants because they grew a little too close together and got crowded up? Some of you know what I'm talking about. All right, so I am going to tell you this morning that as God called my family to come here to Berrien Springs, I believe he's calling some family to go to Scott Valley to pick up the work there. You know, here in Berrien Springs, it's kind of crowded. Have you ever noticed that? You can barely turn around without bumping into another Seventh-day Adventist. I can tell you what, you can go to Scott Valley and walk all around the place and meet all sorts of people that are not Seventh-day Adventists. They're in need of the gospel. So Wednesday night, right here at prayer meeting, Pastor Dennis was in, uh, asking us to make sure that we are where God is calling us to be. And I'm going to suggest that God is calling another family to Scott Valley to pick up the work there. I don't know if it's somebody here this morning, maybe somebody listening online, but I know that there's someone that God is calling. All right, moving on. So here is our family. Well, that's our children. Uh, my wife, Vicki, is sitting over here, and there's three of our six children are here today. We'll notice here, this one's Michael. He's the oldest. He's here with his wife, Natasha. And we're, we're happy they were able to, to come join us for the day. This is our number two son, Joseph, fire chief there in the little town of Fort Jones. He's been very busy the last week. I don't know if you've heard, but there's been some, some wildfires there and evacuations and things like that. So he's been quite busy. Number three son is Samuel. And then Abigail. Abigail is currently studying nursing at Weimar College, university now. It was college for so long. Now it's woo, Weimar University. Anyway, and then here's Gideon and Susanna, the two young ones that we brought with us here to Berrien Springs. And so this morning, uh, first service, I kind of started from the very beginning of my life. We got about halfway through up until I was about 25 years old. So I'm going to pick up the story at that point. If you want to hear the earlier part, hopefully it will be on YouTube. You can go back to the archives and watch it there. So 25 years old, that was when I finished seminary. We left. We loaded everything up here. We had Michael, our oldest son, who was born here in Michigan, and we headed to medical school because I felt convicted that God wanted me to combine pastoral ministry and medical missionary work. And so I had been accepted to Loma Linda 
for medical school. So there we went off to sunny California. The problem was when we got there, we could not see almost anything. The, the smog was so thick. You, they have these nice brochures when, when they advertise Loma Linda with the sunshine and the mountains. And when you get there in August, all you can see is brown. But anyway, it was, it was a great experience going to medical school. I, I had been convicted. Have you, ever, have you ever been convicted that God wanted you to do something and you weren't sure how or what was going to happen, but, but you just had to step out in faith? Has anybody had that experience? Yeah? Okay. Has it, now, I'm getting a little bit ahead of my story, but has anyone here ever stepped out in faith and then fallen down and smashed your face on the ground? Okay, a few of you. All right. So probably the same 11 people that raised their hands earlier saying they had some struggles in life. All right. So it was a challenge because in case you haven't heard, medical school is not something they give away for free. It's a big, big expense. And I, I believe that God didn't really want me to go into debt, but I also believe that he called me to go to medical school. And so I had this struggle. What do I do? What do I do? I, um, I still don't know if I did that the right way, but we went to medical school. I had friends, I had friends who went to medical school and they had it all paid for them. Like, oh, God could do that if he wanted to, but he still hasn't done that. <laughs> um, got, to, got to Loma Linda, how are we going to do this? I want to go as a missionary. I'm doing medical missionary work. That's the plan. So I went and talked to it. AFM. Has anybody here ever heard of AFM? Adventist Frontier Missions. Some of you have. Excellent. You know what they told me? They said, when you get your student loans paid off, come back and talk to us. Okay. Okay. So I went to the general conference. They have a deferred mission appointment program. And they said, oh, no, we can't help you. You have a wife and a child already. Okay, Lord. Here I am. I'm going through medical school. So... We went through medical school. You know, one of the best things about medical school, like learning to be a doctor and about physiology and disease and health and all those things, that was great. But one of the best things was the people that I got to meet there. Some of you will know Dr. John Kelly, who has helped out here at this church. He was in my class in medical school. And in fact, I think, if I remember correctly, when we started medical school, John was... 50 years old and I was 25 and so we were both kind of old because most of the people in the class were only about 23 and so I was 25 so that was kind of old and uh, and John some of the people in the class called him grandpa which I don't know if that was nice or not but um, anyway John and I used to sit in between classes we would do strange stuff like we read this book called Ministry of Healing and we talked about how we were going to do this. And there were several other of our classmates that joined in. And we had these ideas, brainstorming sessions. And, of course, as you know, John went on to be the founding president of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And now is working with uh, the immersion program and integrating health principles and lifestyle and, and medical missionary work. And... It's, it's really an honor to say that I, I knew Dr. Kelly before he was famous. So, 
Um, and I'm looking forward to working with him again here. It's, uh, I'm so excited about that opportunity. All right, so while we were there, we had two more children. That was uh, Joseph and Samuel. Some adventures with that, which we don't have time for today. Maybe someday we can, can tell a little bit about that. But, uh, so we had three children. We finished up medical school at Loma Linda. And then I got accepted into a residency and family practice in a little town called Merced, California. Does anyone know where Merced is? Yes. The best thing about Merced is you can get from there to Yosemite fairly quickly. And, oh, Yosemite is just incredible. But uh, Merced was a good place to, to learn how to practice medicine because there were a lot of people there that were sick and a lot of people there that that hurt each other in various ways, and then we got to help fix them up. So it was, it was a good experience in that regard. And the best thing that came out of Merced while we were there, that's where Abigail was born. And so three years. By the way, do you know why they call it residency? I know some of you do, but it's because you basically live at the hospital. Uh, you know, you, you work for... 60 to 130 or more hours per week. And so you're basically living at the hospital most of the time. They let you out once in a while to go home to visit your family, but you gotta come right back in a few hours. So, so that was fun. When I was nearing the completion of my residency, I started looking. Because you know, the whole idea is to combine pastoral ministry, medical, missionary work somewhere out in the field. So I started looking for a place. I sent, uh, having already been uh, not accepted into foreign mission work because of the, the cost involved, I sent letters to about half of the conferences in the, the North American division, 25 or 30. I think I sent out about 30 letters to different conferences saying, hey, I've, I've put myself through seminary, I put myself through medical school, I'm ready to get to work in the Lord's Vineyard as a pastor and a doctor. And I got, I think, two letters back and basically said, don't call us, we'll call you. God bless you and we, we're praying for your ministry. Oh, okay. Uh, all right, Lord, uh, this is not how this was supposed to go. There was supposed to be, you know, a place for me. And so we started looking around and, and praying and searching, and, and we found a little place there in Scott Valley. The, the pastor that was there was just getting ready to leave. We, we actually went to visit. Ralph Henderson was the pastor. He went from there to Florida. Uh, he has a music ministry. Some of you may know that name. And I remember we went to visit there. We went to a prayer meeting. One of the ladies at prayer meeting said, oh, I work for the local tribe clinic here and we need a doctor. Why don't you go over and see if they, they'll give you a job? So I wanted to start my private practice, but you know, it takes time and effort and money and everything to start a private practice. So, so I went over to the local tribe and the, the nurse and one of the medical assistants invited me in and said, when can you start? I was like, oh. That uh, should have been a clue. <laughs> should have been a clue. But anyway, the Lord is good. And so we moved there to Scott Valley. And I got on a contract with the conference to be a half-time 
pastor and the other half time in medical practice and I worked for the, the Karuk tribe and I worked at a rural health clinic there, I worked in the emergency room, several different venues, eventually did have a private practice. And things were really good. A lot of, a lot of things were really good. Um, we had opportunity to, I had the opportunity to baptize a, a number of my patients. I remember one lady, she was a little bit older lady, a Portuguese Catholic lady. And she had some struggles and of course she told me about them in the medical office. And I don't remember at this point exactly how it came about, but somehow I offered to pray with her, ended up praying with her, and she decided to visit the church. I remember one day she came into the medical office, took care of her medical problems. She's on the way out, and she said to me, Thank you, Father. And I looked at her and I grinned, because I knew what she meant. Like, no, I'm not your father. <laughs> I'm not your father. Uh, but I uh, had the privilege of baptizing her and her husband a short time after that. I remember another individual. You know, up in that part of the country, the, the two main parts of the economy are logging and ranching. And logging is pretty dangerous business. Probably not as bad as it used to be back in the day, but it's still not great. And so there was a guy there who was a logger, and before we arrived, before I met him, he had a big branch fall on his head and smash his head. And he was in a coma for a long time. They didn't think he was going to survive, but he did survive. But he had severe damage to his brain, especially the part that was controlling speech and language. And he could barely talk. He would, he would try to talk to you. He would say a word or two, and then he'd get kind of confused and it'd be just random words coming out that didn't quite make sense. So you had to already know what he was trying to say in order to make any sense out of it. Well, I, I got to meet him and uh, he was friends with one of the other tribal members who was a member of our church and had the privilege of studying the Bible with him. And we went through the uh, Historicals of Prophecy, Amazing Facts Bible Study Series, and he would look up the the passages, but he couldn't really read. I mean, he could read, but he couldn't just open the Bible and read the verse like most of us could. And what he did was he, I gave him the study the week ahead of time, and he would look up all the verses and he would copy them out. Instead of just putting the answer, you know how it is with those Bible studies, they have a place for the answer to the question. They ask a question, they give you the verse, and you just write in the answer. Well, he wrote the whole verse and then he could understand it. And then pretty soon he figured out the more he wrote the Bible, the more he could understand. And so he actually wrote the, Bible, the whole Bible. Started from Genesis, he got notebooks. He has a stack of notebooks. The last time we saw it, it was like a whole box full of notebooks. He was, I think, on his third or fourth time through. And I remember third or fourth time through writing the Bible longhand from Genesis to Revelation. And when, when he did that, it took only a couple of months and the people started to say, 
wow, what's going on? He, like, because he could talk. He could actually carry on a conversation with you. And it was amazing the transformation that happened. And had a, a privilege to baptize him as well. And just one other little story. This one is quite different. I had a gentleman that I met who, again, was, was part of the Native culture there, and he was having some challenges. He had... Uh, I think how much I could share here. I have to be kind of careful. Let me just put it this way. He was experiencing some physical manifestations of, of really severe physical problems that he believed were a result of his wife putting a curse on him. Okay, so you, you read about curses and spells and things in Africa, right? But you don't think about those happening right here. I'm going to tell you the devil is alive and well in North America. If you don't believe it, just you've got to look around and pay attention. He's here. Anyway, so this gentleman, he, I became acquainted with him as a patient because of his medical issues, but he knew that I was a pastor. And so he asked me to come and pray for him. Ooh, okay. So, you know what I did? I grabbed a couple of elders. <laughs> We're going to go pray. So we went and we, we actually had an anointing service and we prayed for him. And the, the oppression went away. The, the symptoms disappeared. And he gave thanks to Jesus for delivering him from the demons. Um, never had the chance to, to baptize him. I still pray for him sometimes. He's He's still uh, needing a closer walk with Jesus. But what an what a opportunity to, to connect someone to Jesus and to share a little bit of truth in a, in a way that made a real difference in his life. I could go on telling you stories all day long, but I've been told that we don't do that here. So <laughs> maybe, maybe some other time we could tell you more stories. So the church, the church was good. It was a beautiful little church. Lovely people up in the mountains there. And we, we had two more children. We had the four, and then we kind of took a break for a few years, and we had two more, which are uh, joy of our life. And I mentioned, I mentioned that I was going to talk a little bit about struggle, and you might be thinking, well, you haven't mentioned any real bad struggles so far. Well... It's interesting, you know, sometimes when you look at people on the outside, things look okay. But you don't know the struggle that's going on in the inside. And sometimes people can look like they got everything together, but on the inside, they're just barely making it. And that's what I felt like sometimes. I remember... There was a point in time that I was, I was struggling. I mentioned in the first service I'm a little bit of an overachiever. Some of you may relate to that. You know, always having to do more. It's my job. Think about it for a second. I'm a pastor and a doctor. It's my job to save and fix everybody. That's what I do. And... 
So I was kind of struggling with that. The, the, church, the church was not growing the way I thought it should be, uh, despite me working hard and doing all the things, you know, being a doctor and giving Bible studies and preaching, and the, the church was, was not where I thought it should be. We had some challenges with the medical practice. I was struggling with some sin in my life. Anybody ever done that? Yeah, a few of you? Yeah. The rest of you, if you haven't struggled with sin in your life, you need to start now. I still struggle with sin in my life. You know, I haven't reached perfection yet, but I, I'm still on the journey, still struggling. Um, but it, I was at a point where, where I just felt like I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't being successful. I, I wasn't good enough. I needed to be better. I, I kept failing in so many different ways. And I just, I can't even put it into words. Like you, you have to, you just have to think about the time in your own life when you struggled with something and you, you were losing and, and you felt like you had to be a winner but you were losing. You, you know that feeling? It's not good. I, I was struggling. I was crying out to God. I remember one day, um, I got up early and uh, had some time with God. I went out for a jog, the stars. You guys, you guys, you have to come out west sometime where there's low humidity and no lights around and it's dark and you can actually see the stars. It's incredible. There's lots of millions more stars than what you guys can see here. Just, I'm just telling you. So I was out there with God, jogging along, praying. By the way, I'll have to say, you know, just yesterday uh, I had a little issue with I usually get up early in the morning and I spend some time with God in prayer and Bible study and reading and memorizing scripture and all that stuff and, and then I work out. Well, yesterday I, I slept in a little bit and then I had to decide, like, I don't have time for everything. What am I going to do? Well, you got to spend time with God. Like, that's just absolute. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll uh, work out later. So I Got up late, so I had to go for a run in the afternoon. Boy, I'm not going to make that mistake again. <laughs> not around here. Got to get up in the morning, have your devotions, and do your exercise, you know, before the sun comes up, cause, just because. Trust me on that. All right, so, so I, was, I was running. I was actually crying. I was actually crying out to God, looking up at the stars and running in the dark which I don't necessarily recommend that because you never know what kind of critters you're going to run into in the dark. But it's just a struggle. Like, oh, I'm not good enough, and I, I'll probably never be good enough. You know, I've been at this for a, quite a while. And, like, I'm, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, there's a story of the, what do we usually call it? The story of the prodigal son. I'm going to tell you, there's two sons in that story. 
We, maybe we should rename it and call it the story of God's children. Luke chapter 15. You remember the story. The younger son had asked for his inheritance and he took off and squandered it and then was starving to death and so he wanted to go home and in verse 18 he said, I will arise and go to my father and say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. That's how I felt. That's how I felt. You know, I, I didn't go off and do all those things that everybody saw publicly. I'm more like what you would call an in-house prodigal. Like, didn't leave the building, but I know, sort of wandered away from God in my, in my mind, and somehow I thought I had to be good enough for God. And, and God spoke to me in that moment. He said, you're my son, and I love you. I knew that before. I knew that God loved me. I could give you Bible studies on God's love. I knew that Jesus died for my sins. I knew there was nothing I could do to earn salvation. I knew that, that Jesus had invited me into the kingdom and that God wanted, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I knew all of that. But something changed. God spoke to me and, and it, it went from being just a, a knowledge in my head to actually a feeling in my heart. And I gotta tell you, of course, we all know you can't trust your feelings, right? Like you can't just go by feelings, but sometimes we get so afraid of feelings that we get all into our head and God does not separate us like that. He wants all of us. He says you should love the Lord your God with what? All of your brains? Well, yes, he includes that, but all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, everything. And why is it that we love God? How can we love God that way? We sang about it. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, that reminds me. I got off track here with my things. So, there we go. I came to Village Church when I was little. Anybody see the name here? Right there? Hilda Hazel was my Sabbath school teacher downstairs. Taught me to sing, Oh, How I Love Jesus, my favorite song. How is it that we come to love Jesus? It says right in the song, Because He first loved me. And until you know the love of God in your heart as a real thing, you, you're not going to respond to him in the right way. You're going to be an achiever. You're going to be struggling and trying to be good enough to earn something you can never earn. And I, like I said, I, I knew that intellectually, but it had to get down into my heart. It's, this, this is what the, the Father says in Luke 15. What, what's the Father's reaction when the Son shows up? So as you say, okay, Son... Yes, I will bring you back as a hired servant and, and because you were my son, I'll give you an extra bonus. No, 
It's like, no, he didn't say, oh, we have a new servant and I'm going to give him a good position. He, he ran and threw his arms around him and welcomed him home. Let's see. If you want to know about that picture, you have to go watch first service. Ephesians, I'm not going to read this whole passage, but you should. You should read Ephesians 1. And here it says in the midst of this passage that God loved us. He's blessed us. He's chosen us. And it says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Brothers and sisters, God loves you. God accepts you. You don't have to be good enough for God to welcome you home. Okay. That doesn't mean he's going to leave you the way you are. Like we, we still have a battle. Life is a battle and it's a struggle. But it's a whole different struggle when, you're, when your heavenly father has his arm around you and you're going to battle together. That's a whole different thing than battling on your own to try to be good enough to be accepted. You understand the difference, what I'm talking about here? It's huge. All right, so this story of the prodigal son, you know there's another prodigal son. Did you know that? There's the older brother. Now I'm going to tell you, the, when I used to read this story, I thought that the story, where did I put myself in the story? I thought, well, this is Jesus warning me that as the, as the elder brother who's always been faithful, that I shouldn't look down on the little brother when he comes crawling back home after sowing his wild oats, that I should welcome him in and join the party, okay? That's kind of what I thought. Well, now, all of a sudden, I realize I'm actually the prodigal son. I've messed up. I don't deserve to be in my father's house, and yet he loves me. He says, um, here, the father goes, puts on him the, the robe and the, the ring and kills a fatted calf. He says, this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. And so you would think, once I understood that, that, that everything would be great, but as I said before, um, I'm an overachiever. So, I can mess up in more ways than one. And what happened was, over the, over the years, I began, to, I began to feel a little bit more like the older brother, you know, because things, there were still struggles. Yeah, I knew that God loved me. Well, let me ask you this. If God loved me so much, why am I still struggling so hard? How come he never threw a party for me? How come he didn't pay off my medical school bills? Have you ever, have you ever been to South School and you listen to the mission story and they say, well, this and this happened and uh, they needed $10,000 and I, I remember this story. This is literally a story a few years ago. The, the person in the story needed, I think it was 10,000 euros for school. And he went in the bathroom and prayed, and the phone rang, and somebody gave him 10,000 euros. How come that never happens for me? Do you ever feel that way? You hear these miracle stories that God does all this stuff for other people. Like, what am I? 
He, God says, I'm his son, he loves me, then how come he can't do stuff for me too? That's exactly the older brother in this story. It's, what does it say? It says, and he was angry and would not go in. So I, I'll tell you, I'm pretty sure this is dangerous to say in church, but I was angry at God. I was angry at God for quite a while because my church wasn't growing. Like my medical practice wasn't what it was supposed to be. I was going broke doing God's will and he wasn't answering my prayers about that. My, my marriage was a mess. I got, like I had problems every which way. And now I, I wanna just pause here, just in case. I don't want you to get the, bad, the wrong idea. Like life was good. Like there was a lot of good things in my life and God blessed me in many ways, but I had a bad attitude. That's just, I mean, I, I blamed God for a lot of problems that were probably mine, but still, you, you know what I'm talking about. When you pray for something, like we just prayed when we moved out here. I got a brand new transmission in my truck and we prayed for a safe journey and good travels and the truck broke down twice. The same exact problem in the transmission had to be fixed three times. Okay? My house is still not sold in California. I'm looking for a place to live here. You guys, your real estate market here is crazy. Houses here, like property, that country property that brother was talking about, I might be coming to live with you if I can find you wherever you are. Country property here is like 30% more expensive than where we came from. It's crazy and I haven't even sold the property. I don't know what God's doing. Thankfully, I'm not mad at him this time. But I mean, there was a time in my life where I was mad at God. Things were horrible, probably mostly because of just my bad attitude. You know, you start looking at how things are going wrong and how come this didn't happen and how come that didn't happen. You can get yourself into a pretty, pretty stinking attitude pretty fast. And I remember one day I was sitting up on this little hill. Y'all here would call it a mountain. Just a little hill across the road from our house, about a thousand feet up in elevation. Maybe not quite, probably 750 or something like that. I, I was just angry and I had a fight with my wife. I don't remember what it was about, but that was it. I just went for a walk and I walked up on this hill and I sat there yelling at God about how come God didn't fix my marriage and how come God didn't fix my bank account and how come God didn't fix all this stuff and you know I've been faithful all these years and basically exactly what the older brother in the story was saying right and I was mad at God and like sometimes we get mad at other people but it's not their fault that God's not blessing us it's God's fault and uh, I was sitting up there and I was thinking you know what I don't know I just might not go back I really wasn't sure if I was going to go back. And I mean, it's, I mean, it would be embarrassing to say this if I, you know, hadn't um, left my ego behind and realized that I'm just a horrible sinner. I, I was thinking about just not going back and sitting up there looking down. I could see the house, and you know, it was, I remember it was a Wednesday afternoon. And I sat up there. I don't know how long it was. It was a long time. And a prayer meeting was coming up, and you know, as a pastor, I'm supposed to be leading prayer meeting. Well, what are you going to do when you're mad at God, and you're thinking about just not going back, and you're supposed to be leading prayer meeting? 
Well, I had my cell phone. So I got on my cell phone. I called up the head elder's wife and said, hey, something's come up. I'm not going to be able to make it prayer meeting tonight. Can you guys cover for me? And it was like a Bible study for me. I was like, sure, we'll, we'll take care of it. So I was like, great. And my wife called me, and I ignored it and turned my phone off. And uh, I sat up there. I watched them come out of the house and get in the van to go to prayer meeting. And I still didn't know what I was going to do. I just sat there. And it got dark. And I just walked off into the woods. And uh, I came back because I didn't want my kids to, you know, I didn't want to not be there when my kids woke up in the morning. Um, oh, man, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a place like that, but it's pretty dark. It's pretty rough. And uh, so, so that's the story of the prodigal son. In the story, in the Bible, it ends there. It says that he was angry. He would not go in. Therefore, what? Here's the good news. Here's the good news. His father came out and entreated him. Heavenly Father loves you, even if you're angry at him. I mean, really, we have no cause to be angry with God, right? But I feel like it's in good company. There are some, re like the best evangelists of all time, Jonah, he was mad at God, right? You remember that story? The little plant came up and then it withered and Jonah was yelling at God. Like, yeah, okay, I'm in good company there. I don't know. Anyway, I came to realize that God doesn't owe me anything. You know, most of my problems are problems I brought on myself. And blaming my wife or my kids or president you know the presidents they put in laws that mess with the healthcare system and we could we could blame them for our problems we could blame god we can blame everybody but the reality is god loves us he entreats us even if we are full of ourselves and blaming everybody else he still comes after us and, and invites us back into his love. God, God does answer prayer. He, he just doesn't always answer it the way that they do in the mission stories. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, you know, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, it's called what, the faith chapter. Some of the people in there, God answered prayer for them, like, you know, Elijah, the rain came down, and the different things that happened to some of those people. But there was also people in there that got sawed in half, and that wandered around in the desert starving, and they were naked, and they lived in caves. Those are also God's people. So if, if you're going through struggles, and God's not answering your prayer the way that you want to, don't give up on God. He's still with you. Who's, who's the greatest prophet in the Bible? 
I think I'm hearing the right answer out there. Jesus said the greatest prophet was John the Baptist. Did you know John the Baptist prayed and God did not answer? The disciples were praying. John the Baptist, he was, in, he was rotting in prison. He's the greatest prophet ever. And God's answer was, you get to be beheaded. You know what? The, the Bible tells us that that is the, the ones who are the true children of God that he chastens. He gets after us with the crucible sometimes. And he uses those things for our good, if we'll let him. So if you're going through struggles, and, and this, this story of the prodigal sons, it's really both of them were prodigals. I've been on both sides. And I can testify that God is good. He, he will not necessarily give you what you want, but he will be with you if you'll reach out to him. Just as he was with John the Baptist in that prison, Maybe he'll answer our prayers and give us all the things, or maybe he won't. But that's not the basis for our faith. He gave us everything. You know that, right? When, when God gave his son to come to this earth to be one of us, he gave us everything. All the other stuff doesn't really matter. <laughs> It's just it's when we get a bad attitude and get all sideways with God, it's just us being stupid, right? And I know, I know there's horrible things in this world, but stick with God. It's, it's the only way through. He will go with you. I want to challenge you, whatever it is that you're going through, whether, whether you're the prodigal that ran away into a far country and you've turned your back on God and you've squandered all of his blessings, or whether you're the prodigal son that, that didn't have the courage to actually run away, but you had a bad attitude somehow in the church and you struggled with your, your private sins that were either you know, nobody else knew about or at least they were socially acceptable. Or maybe you've just been angry at God because he didn't give you what you thought you deserved or, or any of that. Like the answer to all of that is turn back to God. Run to Jesus. He's running to you. He's, he's entreating you. Please, please give me your heart. And if you give him your heart, he'll take care of everything else. He, he may not answer the prayer exactly the way they do in the, in the mission stories, but he will be with you. He'll give you the strength that you need, and someday he'll put all those things right. And, and when we all get to heaven, really, is it going to matter whether he paid off medical school or not? Is it going to matter? All those little things, none of those is going to matter. All that matters is we get to be at home with our Heavenly Father and our, our brother Jesus Christ who gave everything for us. The scripture says, cast your care upon him for he cares for you. In James 4 verse 10, it says, humble yourself before God and he will lift you up. So I want to urge you to do that today. Wherever you are in your walk with God, humble yourself before God. Put all your cares upon him, and he will lift you up. He will carry you home.